Well, good morning. It's good to have you here today. Glad that you've come out, made Calvary part of your Sunday. Good time of worship. Learned a couple new songs there. That was good. Very, very good. Proud of uh, Kaylee as she leads that. You know, when we took over as pastor, Kaylee was pretty young, and uh, she used to introduce herself as, I'm Kaylee, I'm the pastor's daughter. Everybody she meet, I'm Kaylee, I'm the pastor's daughter. I'm Kaylee, I'm the pastor's daughter. Finally, Lori was like, honey, you need to have a little more confidence in yourself, be a little more assertive. You don't always need to say, I'm Kaylee, and follow it with, I'm the pastor's daughter. Just try, I'm Kaylee. So sure enough, the next Sunday, a couple people came in, new people that brought them, were introducing them, came up to Kaylee. They said, and what's your name? She said, I'm Kaylee. And they said, oh, you're the pastor's daughter. <laughs> Kaylee said, well, dad thinks so, but mom's not so sure. <laughs> so it's not a true story. That was pretty funny. Uh, I changed the names around there. But uh, yeah, you know, we don't usually inter introduce ourselves, do we? As uh, I am followed by your name and then whoever your parents happen to be. But maybe it'd be nice if we could. I, uh, I got a bad haircut a few weeks back. Um, I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't quite up to par as far as what I would consider to be a good haircut. Enough so that at some point I took out, you know, we've got these, um, I don't know, clippers, I guess they are, and they've got all these different numbers and you can put different things on them, and I trimmed my own hair. That's never a good thing. Um, but it just kind of shows you, you know, that I was thinking, not so good. So I was like, I need a haircut, and I need it by somebody that I know is going to know what they're doing. So I called the place where I usually get my haircut, and I asked for the manager. She wasn't in that day. So then I asked for another young lady. I said, what about, and I named her, and, and, and I said, is she working at it? Yeah, she doesn't come in until 3. Now, she hadn't cut my hair in years, okay? She had cut it quite a while ago, and then she left and wasn't there for a while, but then I noticed that she had come back, and we had greeted each other, said hello, so I thought, if she's there, I'll count on her to give me a good haircut. Sure enough, she was there, so I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll come back. I went to check in, because I can check in online at the uh, place where I get my haircut, and it was a 45-minute wait. <sighs> I never wait 45 minutes to get my haircut. I'm like, seriously? I mean, there's a bunch of other little places where I could go that are the same name, I'm trying not to, you know, give them free advertising. Um, but anyways, um, I said, you know what, I just, I, I need to make sure that I don't have to cut my own hair, so I'm going. So I waited 45 minutes, finally got in there, and there was still somebody in front of me, another person in the chair. I'm like, seriously. But, okay, I'm this far, let's wait. So she finally calls me over. I'm like, hey, how, how you doing? You know, great to have you back. She said, yep, good to be here. Good to see you. I can't talk to you today. All right. She says, I know what you do, because we've talked before, and I'm pretty sure I'll start crying. Okay, well then let's just cut my hair. So she starts cutting my hair. So as she starts, of course she can't help herself. She says, so, how's the church? How's your view of the human race? Direct quote, that was her quote. How's the church? How's your view of the human race? I said, well, the church is going. I said, we're doing well. I said, you know, we like our new campus and all that kind of thing. And I said, 
My view on the human race is uh, pretty much unchanged. You know, um, I said I think that God loves every person and he sees value in them. And uh, so I try to see that value too. And I said, how is your view of the human race? Because I knew by now she wants to talk. And she said, well, my view of the human race is fine. They're all fine. But she said, I am pretty ticked off at God. Except she didn't use those words. She was actually a little, a little stronger than that. I said, okay. I said, well, he can handle that. You want to tell me what's going on? And so she began to share with me her story. She said, I have a best friend, and the best friend has just gone through an awful lot in the past month. And she began to reiterate what had been happening and she got about a third of the way through, and I said, your best friend has a husband who took some medication and got side effects from it. She also has a son who was going through a debilitating disease. They had a fundraiser for them at Crystal Gardens. And just two weeks later, the husband died, and two days later, the son died. She turns my chair around. You know how you're kind of locked in and a stylist and they have control. She turns the chair around so she's looking at me and by now my eyes were watering just a little. wasn't crying but they were watering. She says, you can't do that and she started to cry. She said, how did you know that? I said, my wife's been telling me for the past three weeks all about this. And so she began to reiterate. When I got done, I said, Tracy, I, I picked you today. I, I wanted to get my hair cut, and I knew that I needed somebody who, and I picked you, and now I know why. And we talked, and I told her that, you know, it's, God was big enough. He could handle her being angry. He could handle her questions. And I tried to give her some answers. I gave her a couple things that she said, I, I need to remember that. I need to share that with her. And uh, it doesn't take long to cut my hair because I go in, you know, pretty regularly to keep it short, and uh, about 45 minutes later, she turned me around so that I could face kind of the waiting room, because she was done, and there's a whole room of people. I'm like, you got to get me out of this chair. All these people that come in to get their hair cut, and there's only two stylists in the room. She says, yeah, I needed this, though. So we talked, and I told her about, you know, you got to come see me on a Sunday, and and I made my way out to the car. And when I made my way out to the car, that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. And I was like, I need to change my message for this week. Because in, in just this week, just, just this week, I've talked with um, couples who are struggling starting a family. I've talked with couples who are struggling to keep their family together. I've talked with couples who are split. I've talked with couples who got kicked out of their family. Tamara called me. Actually, she texted me Thursday morning. It was early. She gets here early after she drops Jacob off at school. She usually comes because she knows she can get here and Nobody knows she's here, although you all do now. Um, she texted me about 8 o'clock, though, and there's a picture. She said, I think we have a homeless man outside the kitchen. 
He's in a tarp. His foot's sticking out. He's alive because the foot moves every once in a while. I said, okay, I'll be right there. So I made my way down 4th Street, pulled into McDonald's, thought I better get a hearty breakfast. And I enjoyed that on the way over. No, I brought that here to give to him. So then, you know, I don't know what I'm dealing with. I mean, there's just a blue tarp outside a kitchen door. So I'm like, all right, look, you stand over here. And if the guy pulls anything, have your cell phone in hand and call the police. But let me go see what's going on. So I went over there and I said, hey, you okay? Hey, you all right? You good? And a voice said, yeah, I'm okay. And then another voice said, we're all right. And it was a couple who had spent the night, I think probably the coldest night of the winter, outside our kitchen door, wrapped in a tarp. By the end of the conversation, the young lady said, I knew we'd be okay here. That's why we came here. Hmm. Finally, we coaxed them in. They didn't want to come inside. Brought coffee out there. They drank the coffee. They were cold. It was cold. I was cold. I'm like, can we please go inside? And I didn't sleep out there. And, and, and finally, I was like, you know, the coffee's much better if you walk inside. They finally came in. They actually sat at the table. I brought the breakfast out. They ate the whole thing. Tamara went down, got him a couple pair of socks because they needed socks. She says, we can help you with that. And it was just a situation that had never should have gotten to that place, but it had, and they came here. So we talked about a plan, and I made them laugh a couple of times, which was cool. My wife wouldn't have laughed, but they did. And then I said, can I pray with you? And they're like, yeah, we'd appreciate that. So I prayed with them. We had actually invited them to come to the fireworks. She remembered my wife and I walking out in a field and inviting them and their little girl to come to fireworks. <sighs> when we got done, the people that we had a hard time coaxing inside the church, they hugged Tamara, they hugged me, and they made their way out the door. I've been to the hospital dealing with a family that was losing someone way too young. I've been to the funeral home numerous times. One, someone who had not been well for a long time. One who had been diagnosed only a few weeks ago. And one, <laughs> leaving behind a husband and a 12-year-old daughter. And I just walked in and I was like, I don't have anything to say. I mean, I do have something to say. You know, I can quote them the 23rd Psalm. I can give them all the verses. I've known it since I was a little boy. That's not what they need right at that moment. They know the cliches. They grew up in church. said, I don't know what to tell you. I can't give you any reasons as to why this is happening. All I can say is this. Well, you are having the worst day of your life. 
your wife is having the best day of hers. That's the week. That's the week. I got a call from somebody saying, look, uh, I need a letter from you, and I need it right away, a letter of reference, because this situation's going on, and kid made a mistake, and okay. That's all been in one week, and I just thought, you know, my guess is, well, first of all, I know that in our church, that's you. Might not describe your exact situation, but that is where you're at. That is where you're at sometimes, even when you're sitting here, even when you look all prim and proper and sing the songs and everything, you're still like, ah, the cliches ain't working. What can I hang on to? And I noticed the first verse of the book that we're looking at in chapter 3. First John. Chapter 3, verse 1. If you got a Bible, you're going to want to go there because this is one you're going to want to underline. It's one you probably want to memorize. It's, it's easy. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. See what great Love the Father has lavished, not just given, not just allowed us to be part of. He's lavished this love on us that we should be called the children of God. And just to emphasize it, John says, that is what we are. Do you remember that little prayer that you might have learned when you were just a little kid? Maybe mom and dad taught it to you. Even if you didn't grow up in church, sometimes you learn these little prayers. God is great. God is... Yeah, you learned it too. God is great. God is good. And that's what that verse says. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. He makes sure to use, even though John is the one who has told us that if you want to see God in a bod, here's Jesus. He's the one. I've seen him. I've touched it. I've been there. I've done that. He's real. But yet he emphasizes the Father. Because he wants us to understand the greatness of God. But then he talks about the love that he has for each one of us. The greatness and the goodness of God. The greatness and the goodness of God. You see, now you got to understand a little bit of context as to when John is writing this. So, So let me give you just a little bit of that here. John is writing this in a time period that early Christians, and especially early Jewish Christians, they have been going through it. It's why the more that you learn about the history of the early church, the more you realize that no matter what we go through, we will never, ever, 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 may I say it one more time, ever, have a good understanding of what they went through to make sure we have what we have today. We'll never get it. We'll get all up in arms politically if the wrong person gets in. 
But we won't understand what they're going through. Because what they're going through is the knock comes on their door and they get arrested and for sport. The Romans go on vivid in game time and buy tickets to the Colosseum so they can watch the Christians be marched in and see what the Lions do to them. And not the Detroit Lions. Real hungry Lions. That's the sport. That's the Christians. That's the church. They are being persecuted, arrested, killed. John is the only apostle left. The rest of them have died some pretty horrific deaths. But you want to know what they did? They died those deaths still maintaining the faith in Jesus Christ that they had because they had seen it, they had touched it, they had been part of it. It was real. And they marched to their deaths often singing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's who John's writing to. And he says, how, how great, how great the love the Father has lavished on us. And, and, and just, just to, you know, add to it a little bit, as if that's not quite enough, there had been some Jews who decided to try to revolt against the Roman Empire. Some, some Jewish pockets of resistance. They'd been doing some underground, and then finally it was just a flat-out revolt, and Rome decided, we're done with this. And so they sent in a general to take care of it. And they said, we want this squelched. His name was Vespasian. Nero sent him in to squelch this Jewish revolt. The problem was, <laughs> the Roman soldiers, they weren't really looking for who was part of the revolt and who wasn't. They just wanted, it, this keeps going on and on and on, and they're getting tired of it. And they just start indiscriminately taking out the Jews. At some point, Nero dies. And they decide that the general, Vespasian, needs to be the new emperor. So he gets called back to Rome. He puts his son, Titus, in charge of squelching this revolt. Titus says, you know what? Most of this trouble is coming from Jerusalem. So he surrounds Jerusalem. He doesn't let anything in. He doesn't let anything out. No help, no assistance, no trade, no goods. And he begins to choke off the Jewish people that are inside Jerusalem. At night, Roman soldiers will go in and raid, kill off a few. Pretty soon, it's down to where this can be taken care of. And they go in in 70 AD, and they burn the temple to the ground. Same temple that Jesus had been in. Same temple that he had cleared people out of as they were selling stuff. That temple. The temple where the garment had been rent in two that separated the holy and of holies from a that temple. They burned it to the ground and they killed Jews indiscriminately. Men, women, children didn't matter. This is the culture into which John is writing these words. How great <laughs> the love the Father has lavished on us.
that we should become the children of God. You know what he's doing? He says in chapter one, we've talked about it, right? It's real. It's real. I've seen it. I've touched it. I've heard it. I've been part of it. Hang on. It's real. It's real. This whole Jesus thing, it's the real deal. Then chapter two and a bit of three, we talked last week about the fact that the only way to rise above all of the discontent, all of the discussion, all of the arguments, all of the voices that must have been a cacophony of sound and just noise back then. He said the only way we're going to rise above it is love. Real? Rise above? Now he starts chapter 3 by saying what? Remember. Remember. He says, see what great love, what's, what's he actually saying there? Hey, think, remember the love, the Father. I know you're going through it. I know these are difficult days. I know you're having a tough time, but remember how much God loved you. Remember how much God cares about you. Remember that you have value in his sight. Remember God is great. God is good. There was an Old Testament writer who shared that truth with us as well. It's found in Psalm 62, verse 11 and 12. This is what it says. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. God is great. God is good. It's interesting that the author of this verse, the one who God inspired to write these words, is David. Scripture says that of David, he was a man after God's own heart. The author of the words that we're using as our foundational verse today is, who is it? Yeah. Thank you. You're scaring me. When you operate on a slower basis than the first service, that is pretty scary because it is pushing 12 o'clock. Yeah, the author of the psalm is David, but the author of 1 John is... Hey, very good. You're on track. Yeah, John. And the Bible says of John that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. Interesting that these two men who had a pretty good understanding of God would write these verses that actually, if you get nothing else from theology, you could base it on this. God is great and God is good. God is great and God is good and we need both. See, the problem is that most of us have had points in our life, maybe even seasons in our life, maybe you're even going through it right now, where we have lost a measure of our faith. And the reason that we've allowed that to happen, the reason that, that we have found ourselves maybe stepping back a bit is because we have lost our perspective of God. And John says, remember... God is great, and God is good, and he is great, and he is good for you, and on your behalf. 
And sometimes circumstances and situations may cause us to just kind of go outside and in effect look up in the air and go, really? But even in those situations, God is great and God is And he's great and he's good for you. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. And, and here's, here's the thing. Many times, this is why it's so interesting that all of you kind of know that little prayer. There's always something new we can learn about God. There will always be something new that we can learn. He, for one thing, he's creating new things every day. God is doing a new thing. And so there's always something new that we can learn. Always something new we can grab a hold of. But most of the time, it's not something new that we need to get us through situations. It's just that we need to remember something old. Something we already knew, something we've already been taught, and for most of you, that little prayer you learned when you were about this high, God is great, God is good. And the older we get, the more we need to know the truth of that statement. It's what we already know that we need to be reminded of that makes the difference. He is great but he is loving. He is capable, but he is compassionate. He is mighty, but he's merciful. He's both. And aren't you glad? Because we need both. If all God was was great, but he wasn't good, <laughs> look out. But if all he was was good, and he didn't have any power to change our circumstance, we need a great God, and we need a good God. And David and John remind us that he is both great and good. He is powerful, but he is loving. The other day, I was uh, heading to my nephew's basketball game at Southgate Anderson, and I turned off of Pennsylvania onto McCann, and I made my way down, and I passed by Allen School, Allen Elementary School. That's where I went to elementary school for five illustrious years. And uh, as I'm going down there, I passed the intersection there where it's McCann and Ludington, little street right there. And back in the day when I was in school, and they still do this to a certain extent, but not as much, everybody walked to school. I mean, the buses, there were a few, but they were few and far between. Most everybody walked, and I was a, a, a walker. Um, so sure enough, I, I walked to school most of the time. And, uh, and so one day in fourth grade, Mrs. Perry's fourth grade class, I get out of school, and I'm walking home, and I'm across the street, and I'm walking down uh, McCann towards Ludington, and I'm walking with my friend Mark, and we're just making our way along, walking, minding our own business, and there's two safeties up there. Now, every school had safeties, and normally there were safeties on just about every block. For some reason, there were two safeties right here, 
And these two safeties, these guys, I, I don't quite understand it, but did you have anybody in elementary school that looked like they were 35 and had facial hair? I mean, these belts barely fit over their large figures. And, and you know, they're growing a beard and everything. I'm like, what? how many times did you flunk fifth grade? But anyways, I walk up to these safeties and they say, hey, Walker, go back and walk. <laughs> well, well, I hadn't been running. See, now the safety's job really was to make sure that you got across the street safely. But back in my day, they could also reprimand you for A, running, which made absolutely no sense to me, or walking on other people's grass. Okay, that was a big one. Hey, get off the grass. Those are the safety's jobs. So I've got these two 35-year-old safeties telling me to go back and walk. I didn't run. I tried to tell them I, I didn't run. They said, go back and walk. I looked at my friend, Mark, and he just kind of went, I mean, he had compassion. He was my best friend. What was the problem? He was powerless to do anything against the 35-year-old safeties. So they said, go back and walk. So I went back, turned around, and walked again. I got up to the safeties, and they said, do it again. I didn't run. Do it again. By now, Mark has crossed the street. He doesn't want any part of this. I go back. I walk. Go back and do it again. I didn't run. You are too. Go walk. By this time, I'm done. I just took off running. And I ran as fast as I could all the way home. They're yelling, get back here. And I'm running as fast as I can in my full-length fur coat. And... I don't think I had it on that day, but anyways. <clears throat> I ran all the way home. I told my mom, and mom told dad. Next morning, I don't really want to go to school. Mom's like, you'll be fine, just go to school. In fact, she probably drove me. But all through the day, I'm thinking, I got to face those ugly safeties again. I thought about buying them a razor, but I didn't have enough money. So now, it's after school, and me and my friend, we're walking home again, me and Mark. I cross the street, and I look up, and there's those safeties. I look across the street, and there's my dad. I just leaned over to my friend. I said, watch this. And boy, did I walk with a different set of confidence up to those safeties. Totally different, my demeanor. I just walked up to them, smiling. Hey, Walker, go back and walk. I said, yes, sir. And I turned around until I heard a voice that said, Billy, you stop right there. Oh, I'd heard that voice before. But this time I smiled. They turned around and across the street came my dad, waving his little pointy preacher finger and giving them the hellfire brimstone voice that only he could, listen here, boys, I didn't see my son running, yet you wanted him to go back and walk. I don't think that's such a good idea. I'm on a first-name basis with the principal who just happens to be across the street, and I'd love to go and chat with Mr. Rumley right now if you'd like. Would you like to accompany me over there? Maybe we can tell him about this. Oh, he laid into them. And then he said, come on, let's go, and we walked across the street, and of course I couldn't help but turn around and go, 
What was the difference? Well, my best friend had been with me. He had compassion, but he was powerless to do anything about it. But my dad, my dad had compassion, and he had the power to change things. Do you see where I'm going? Your heavenly father, he loves you. He has compassion for you. He sees value in you. And he is powerful enough to change the situation. And it's so important. And here's the reason why it's important. And I just want to share with you three things. What we believe about God determines the direction of our lives. What we believe about God determines the direction of our lives. And what we believe about God, if it determines the direction of our lives, that direction determines our destiny. The fact that you're here this morning That says something about what you believe. That says something about what you believe in God. Even though you may be going through difficult situations, it says something. And the fact that there are so many people in our world who aren't in church, they've lost that perspective. What we believe about God determines the direction of our lives, and the direction of our lives determines the destiny of our lives. Let me, let, me, let me give it to you another way. Our perception of God determines our expectation of God. If we firmly believe that God is great and God is good, then we understand that while he loves us, he is also powerful enough to change our circumstances. And that expectation greatly determines our anticipation of what life will bring. Because when you have a few days, like what I've had this week, and, and you've had them, when you've had that experience, and you cannot help but ask, God, do you really know what's going on? You've got to have a foundation. And how awesome to know that the foundation is simple enough that you have remembered it since you were a child. We just have to be reminded. We have to remember God is great and God is good. Why? Because there are three things that people are doing. I'll give them to you and I'll give them to you very quickly. First thing is everyone is seeking. Everyone is seeking. And I'll go back and tear these apart, but I want to give them all three to you right now. Every... Everyone is not only seeking, everyone is questioning. Everyone has questions. And then the last one, and I'm actually going to add one to it. Your notes probably say everyone is dying. Everyone is dying from the time that we're born, but you can add something to that today. Everyone is hurting. And if they're not hurting right now, they have been. You could pretty much you can pretty much believe that everybody's going through something. And it's so important for us 
to build our lives on the fact that God is great and God is good. Everyone is seeking. Everyone is searching for something. Some people don't know what they're searching for, right? But everybody is seeking something. Significance, purpose, acceptance, love, achievement, success. We're all seeking something. And, and the problem is until they get to the point where they realize, and maybe you're here today, and you need to get to that point where you realize that there is a missing part of your life, and the only thing that can fill that void, the only puzzle piece is a God-shaped puzzle piece. Because he's the only one that can fill that emptiness, that spot. And, and no matter what you seek after, and no matter if you even get it, if you have not found a relationship with God, if you have not allowed him to fill that emptiness, nothing else will suffice. Nothing else will work. Temporarily, you may feel that way. Temporarily, you'll be okay. You've got money, you've got success, you've got achievement, you've got a name for yourself, but at some point, it's not enough. And God's the only one who can fill that emptiness. That's why I love to quote Jeremiah 29, 11. You know that. For some of you, maybe it's even your life verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Love that verse. Awesome verse. Can I tell you something, though? The verse that comes after it is just as important. Because Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Is it possible that the prospering and the blessing and, and the favor comes when we seek after God. Because God promises, if you seek, you'll find me. He doesn't say, seek after me and hopefully, you know, we'll come to some kind of an agreement. He says, seek me and you will find me. And that's why it is so important when we come up against these difficult, when we have a week like I've had, we don't just kind of throw our hands in the air, but we rest on the foundation that God is great and God is good. And if we seek after him, there is a season beyond this. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart. Talk to a couple. They're not from this church, so you don't have to be scratching your head trying to think, who is that? They're from a long way away, but they called me and I talked to them and, and I said, look, in every marriage, <laughs> every marriage, I can't think of a marriage where at some point or another you don't hit a wall. You got to get through the wall. Sometimes you got to chip away at the bricks and get through it. Sometimes you got to walk around it. Sometimes you can just go over it. Sometimes it's quick. Sometimes it takes a while. But I promise you this there is something on the other side of the wall. And the couples who make it there wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. That's the whole. You will find me if you seek me. Ye 
God will look for me. Everyone is questioning. Questions about the existence of God, questions about does God care. You've heard questions probably maybe even from your friends who know you go to church. Well, if God is loving, then how can he allow boom, 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 boom. It's interesting because the Bible is actually filled with questions. Read the Old Testament book, short book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Say that back to me. What is it? Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Way to go. You learned how to say that. Probably not going to name your kids that, but you know. It was an Old Testament name. He was a minor prophet. He wrote a little book. Whole first chapter is him asking God questions. You read the New Testament. You read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Here's Jesus doing all this stuff, sharing all these wonderful things. You know what he faced every time he was out? Questions. And when he got back at the end of a long day, you know what the disciples had? More questions. It's okay. And it's okay for you to have questions. Your company decides to downsize and you lose out. You get passed over by somebody less qualified. You have a doctor's appointment. It's just a checkup and it turns into so much more. You have a child and the child, you've raised them, you did all the right things, you gave them all the right answers, you brought them up in church and they're still not following the way they need to. Questions. And sometimes you just kind of look up and go, really? Here's, here's what I told the lady cutting my hair. God can handle your questions. He can even handle you getting mad. God does not cause evil. But he does allow it. He does allow it. And, and, and he doesn't have... He doesn't have any choice. It all started way back when in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve did have a choice and they chose wrong and it just kind of caused a spiraling effect that here we are living in today. And then it just seems like things sometimes get worse, right? He can handle our questions. And we may not always like the answer. We may not always get the answer. There's an author by the name of C.S. Lewis. If you've ever heard of the Chronicles of Narnia, he's the guy that wrote that. So The Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe, that was a big movie Disney put out. That was written by C.S. Lewis way back in World War II, just after. He was an atheist who became a Christ follower. And in what's considered a Christian classic book called Mere Christianity, this is what C.S. Lewis said. Because part of the reason he was an atheist, he looked at a suffering world and he could not understand if God existed, why he didn't do something about it. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I gotten this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe to when I called it unjust? And he realized that calling something evil is only possible if you have some kind of an understanding that there is something that is good. And he realized that evil could not exist unless goodness existed first. And the goodness he found, of course, to be in God. 
Job would write in the Old Testament, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Why? Because he keeps his promises. John would write in his gospel, chapter 16, words of Jesus, where he would gather with his disciples and say, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And finally, everyone is dying. Genesis, you read through the book of Genesis, you'll see some pretty lengthy lives, right? I mean, Genesis, you just read it for what it is. It can kind of blow you away. And he lived 150 years. And finally, he had a child. <laughs> it's like, wow, what? Talk about a long time. And then he lived another 649 years. What? But you want to know what every verse ends with? Just about. And he died. And he died. Didn't matter how long he lived, at some point he died. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It is appointed for people to die once, and after that, the judgment. We're all dying. We don't have control over that, and we don't like that because we're kind of control freakish. But sometimes the hurting, sometimes the dying, if nothing else, it causes us to look to the one who does have control. And sometimes, sometimes we, we won't have all the answers. But is it possible that once in a while, God's just trying to get us to look his direction and, and maybe have a yearning to come home? Because see, for a believer in Christ, this isn't really home. Have you ever been away from home for a long time, maybe for some of you it's work-related, maybe for some it's been a vacation. You just, you kind of went on that two or three-week vacation, but by about, you know, halfway through that third week, you're like, okay, it's time to go home. <clears throat> Kids go to camp, you know, summer, staff, they're having a great time all the way through, and at some point, though, they, they just begin a little bit to think, yeah, you know, I wouldn't mind a home-cooked meal. I miss my mom, I miss my dad, I miss my friends, I miss home. Maybe every once in a while the Lord's just trying to get us to lean in his direction and look towards home. Sometimes the difficulty that we go through in life, if it doesn't do anything else, it helps us understand that there is a brighter day coming. There's a better place. In fact, Jesus talked about it and John recorded it. John chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me, in my, what's the next word? Fathers. Oh, what love the Father has lavished on us. And we haven't even really begun to see it yet. Because Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms, many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. 
I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas, but let's be honest. I think he was talking for a lot of the disciples. He said, well, how can we know where you're going? We don't know the way. And Jesus said, oh, Tommy, 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 Tommy. You do. You do know the way. I don't have a map. You don't need a map, buddy. You need me. Jesus says in verse 5, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. And isn't it awesome that for those that are seeking, he is the way. And for those that are questioning, he is the truth. And for all of us who are hurting and dying, (laughs) he's the life. And I love the words that John shares, and I share them so many Sundays. To as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become children of God. Even to them that believed on his name. How great. How great, he say a couple years later, the love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called the children of God because that's what we are so maybe it's not such a bad thing I don't recommend you do this today at dinner the server comes over to take your order I, I don't recommend that you say I'm, I'm Bob and I'm God's son they might be a little taken aback by that but can I tell you something you need to remember that you need to remember that You are a child of God. If you have placed your faith and trust in him, in his son, in what he did for you on the cross, John says, I'm writing to you. God is great. God is good. I want us to close our service a little differently today. A lot of times we have have given opportunity, sometimes during worship, for people to come and pray. And a lot of times we're standing and singing and worship and it's easy for people to kind of just slip out. So this one's maybe not as easy because I'm just going to have you remain seated. But I, I want our, our pastors to come to the front and I, I want to give you opportunity to come and pray. If, if you want to know that somebody's agreeing with you today, whatever you're walking through, whatever you're going through, I want to give you a chance to know that somebody's agreeing with you today. Uh, Joe Linda, do you mind coming up and standing with Dan? And Lori, can I have you come up here with me, dear? There's a song that uh, Lauren Daigle recorded. I was trying to figure out what song to end with today to give you that opportunity.